This is the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. Hello, friends, and welcome to a Wednesday Wisdom episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. And if you're wondering why the J, the answer is I am not a bagpipe player. And if that joke doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast. But as to today's episode, our Wednesday Wisdom episodes are this. I am sharing the audio of my sermons from the church I pastor, Evident Grace Fellowship in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as sermons from churches I have pastored prior, as well as sermons that I've preached at other places. And I'm sharing them with you for this reason. My sermons are usually not too long. They're between 30 and 40 minutes long. And by sharing them with you, it gives you a chance for some spiritual encouragement midweek. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's challenging and encouraging, like I said. And if it is, would you please send me a note at uh, gordon at jgordonnuckin.com or maybe even share this sermon online, Facebook, or on your Instagram story. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the sermon. It would be a, a rather obvious statement to say, Uh, that in the Gospels around the time of Jesus, we could clearly see that God was at work. God was very clearly making himself visible. Jesus was teaching. He was healing. There were incredible things going on, things that had been promised for years and years, and yet somehow people standing right beside Jesus, hearing what he said, missed out on everything that God was doing. In what would appear to be one of the more clear times in the entire world where God was working, people missed out. Now, if we ask ourselves, why is that? Why were people missing out? We could find several answers. But one of the things that continued to trip people up was the question, where's Jesus from? Because they knew from the promises of Scripture that the Savior was going to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, Where David was sent to, where David was from, that's where the Savior is going to be. So they had this grid. Anytime things started to happen in Bethlehem, someone rose up in power and influence, they'd say, is that the Savior? And as a result, other areas were basically treated as the ghetto. Now they knew that Jesus was from, at least his family, from Nazareth of Galilee, and no matter what you thought, they really knew that place was the ghetto. So Jesus would show up, and he would teach. He would do amazing things, and they'd go, yes, but he's from the ghetto. And they would do, I mean, Jesus is white in front of him. Amazing things are going on, missing out completely. And if we're going to work through this time and this passage of Scripture, and we're going to want to know, What do we need to do when God's at work? We also need to figure out what are the things that are preventing us from being a part of it. And misconceptions, stereotypes, they get in the way. Tell you a little story. This might be a very sermon-laden time between us. Uh, I grew up in Smithfield, North Carolina. And in the Civil Rights Movement, that area was known as one of the most racist areas in the entire country. 1974, sadly, one of my very first memories, we're driving across the famed Noose River by the Little Brown Jug, still there today, nice little speakeasy, and there was a giant billboard into Smithfield, North Carolina. You know what that billboard said in 1974? The KKK welcomes you to Johnson County. 
Tamar. It's not that long ago. That was the history and the reputation of where I grew up. And I was not immune to the area. I didn't grow up educated above those kind of things. I inherited all of that. I go to college and I realize, wow, I grew up in a pretty racist area and I got to struggle with the, the things that I hold on attached to that. I'm not immune to that. Freshman year, so I, I'm wrestling with that. God is uh, becoming more vibrant in my life. I find myself moving towards an active, disciplined life of study and worship. I recognize that that in and of itself is something that I not only struggle with, but I've been racist plenty. I begin to read uh, things way out my field of reference. Wonderful African-American authors, people that would challenge me. And I decide, you know, and I think it would be helpful for me to take an African-American literature class. I was an English major. I was going to be a teacher. And I thought, that's exactly what I need to do. I need to uh, be exposed and be taught in a way that I really would never have gotten in uh, Smithfield in Johnson County. So the very first thing we had to do in that very first day is he wanted to go through every single student and say, tell us where you're from and tell us what works of African-American literature that you've read. So he comes to me. My name's Gordon, and I am from Smithfield, North Carolina. And he stops. He's like, where are you from? Smithfield, North Carolina. And he says to me, did you bring your sheet? That's his response to me. Okay, now, the irony of his racism towards me is a conversation that we'll have a different day. But I went and sat down with Dr. Reginald Watson, and we became as much as a professor and a student can be friends. A respectful relationship. Because I said, Dr. Watson, I admit 100% where I'm from has that reputation. And I admit that I grew up with every single bit of that. But I am here for the express point of having my perspective opened and to be taught. Am I going to be able to do that in this class? And from that point on, we had a fantastic relationship. Now, I am by no means Jesus, clearly known by all of you. Jesus shows up healing, teaching, and they go, but he's from Galilee. There's no way that he can be the Savior because we know the part of town that he's from. And for some reason, they just don't ask the question, hey, are you from Bethlehem? And he would just say, yeah, I was born there. They just wouldn't even get to that point. They were missing out on the work of Jesus, on the work of God in their lives, because they had clear, preconceived notions, prejudices and stereotypes and sin, and God rolled right on past them. Now, what we're hoping to do in this passage is we're going to ask ourselves, what do we do when God's at work? first thing we're going to have to do before we get to our outline is wrestle with some of the things that we've got to get rid of and see what would cause us to miss out. When God's at work, how do we get onto that on-ramp and become a part of it? Prayerfully, your being here is part of that. Prayerfully, your desire to worship and to hear the preached word and to sing, to take the Lord's Supper is part of that. But we've got to begin doing the heart work where we would dig in and ask the Holy Spirit to invade our life and say, how can I be a part of what you're doing? What is it about my life that needs to be moving away so I can be greater used by you? 
Towards that end, here's our big picture question. What do we do when we see God is at work? And we're going to try to answer that question by walking through John chapter 7, verses 40 through 52. At times I know we stand for the reading of the Word. This is a little bit larger passage. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to read it to you. Uh, You will find this both up on the overhead. You'll find it in your bulletins, and I will read it to you. Let's find our hearts attuned to the words of God as I read it to you now. I will begin in verse 40. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Is not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there's a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to them before, who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Interesting passage here in the book of John. Jesus is not speaking. The topic, the subject of our book is not focused on here. Because we need to know what's going on around Jesus. Because we need to know what it's like for our lives to go on around Jesus. Let me give you a little bit of a background. Uh, John chapter 7 has been about the question, who is Jesus? And everybody is contributing their answer. His brother said, he's not the Savior. Some said, he's a good man. Some said, he's leading people astray. Some said, he is demon-possessed. And last week, again, he got into this interaction with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And they're beginning to have this back and forth and back and forth. And the people notice that the Pharisees are angry, but they're not doing anything. So they begin to ask, maybe the Pharisees and the religious leaders are beginning to believe in him, and they can't have that. The religious leaders don't want to give away their authority. So they say, go arrest him. And Jesus ended last week's passage by saying, All who are thirsty, come to me, and out of them will flow streams of living water. The Holy Spirit will flow right out of them. And that's where we are. It's coming to a head, the give and take and the back and forth. Who is Jesus? And it's finally coming to this point. And what we're going to see, who is it that's going to be a part of the work of God here and who is not? And so as we answer that question for ourselves, we're going to outline this passage in this three ways. If we want to be a part of the work of God, I'm encouraging you in this way to follow this pattern. Speak about Jesus. Be prepared for hostility and appeal to that which is true. If we know that we have been called by Christ to be a part of the work of God, I would encourage you to greater be a part of it in this way. Speak about Jesus. Be prepared for hostility and appeal to that which is true. That's what we're going to see in this passage this week. Let's take the first one. Understanding how to be a part of the work of God. The first thing we need to do is to talk or speak about Jesus. Let me reread this small section. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. 
No one said, this is the Christ, but some said it's the Christ to come from Galilee. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The reaction in verse 40 is to Jesus' statement that if you come to him, streams of living water will flow out of you. And Jesus' words are so powerful, people have to have some response, which is true of us. The words of Christ are so powerful, we have to have some response. And people, once again, are debating. Someone says, maybe he's the prophet. And that was a belief that Elijah the prophet would come before Jesus. And we saw back in John 1 and 2 that that's the work of John the Baptist. But when you say, well, Jesus is the prophet, that's when people are going, um, uh, good, but now he's not the Savior. I'm impressed, but I'm not ready to trust him. You get some people who are like, this is the Christ. You begin to see some people who are putting their entire lives in trust in him, and then you get the racist who go, he can't come from Galilee. There's no way he can come from Galilee. Folks go, no, 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 he's got to come from Bethlehem, which would be a court of scripture. He's got to come from Bethlehem. And again, Jesus was from all of those places. He was born in Bethlehem because his parents were specifically related to David. But he grew up and lived in Nazareth of Galilee. So that's where he's from. But all they can do is just focus on where he grew up. They can't get past that point. By the way, Mary is like David's granddaughter to the 20th power. And we got like 20 generations. So she is, and Joseph was the same. The guy was about related to David as you could be in that day. And genealogies were kept. It was really clear who they were, and they were related to David. If they had asked, just Jesus, where were you born? He could answer the question. They won't do it. But I will offer this. The talking about Jesus is getting the conversation started. There is an interaction. Where is he from? Who is he? What a wonderful question to ask our hearts, to ask each other, and to ask other people. Who do you think Jesus is? Among each other, who is Jesus to you today? Meaning, is he the person you're desperately depending upon? Is he a reference point for me on seven, uh, on Sunday? He's the one who's making me guilty? It's just a wonderful, beautiful, genuine question. I was speaking to someone today, and I said, you know what I appreciate about you? <laughs> and they said, well, that's much better than you asking the opposite. And I was like, yes, let me tell you what I appreciate about you. While I love to talk food and drink and fantasy football, I can talk all those things most all day. Every now and then, it's nice to mix it up over ideas or mix it up over the deeper parts of Scripture. And this person has a tendency to do that. Please, come talk to me about food, drink, and fantasy football. I love it. But every now and then, it's helpful for our hearts to push a little bit deeper into the conversation about who Jesus is and how he's interacting in our life. And I think you'll find your evenings and your conversations much more rich, and you'll find yourself becoming a greater part of the life and the work of God presently. They were at least having that conversation. But there's some people who are looking at Jesus and they're like, he just can't be the Savior because he's from Galilee. Uh, there's a, a, a fun little trend going on right now among celebrities, believe it or not. What they like to do is to dress very uncelebrity like and see how they're treated. Several months ago, you two dressed up like street musicians in the New York subway 
and just play to see, will anybody even know that we're U2? Nothing good can come from street musicians in the New York subway, can they? And then all of a sudden you got people freaking out. No, no, this is, it's really a U2 concert going on in the New York subway. But everyone missed it. Why? Just dressed like street musicians. There's a fashion designer named Damon John, a, a shark, if you will. He's on the shark tank. He's just a multi, multi-millionaire because he designs clothing. He has a, a clothing line. At Fashion Week last year, he dressed up like a street musician with a cardboard sign that says, I'm a designer and will make you money. Will you give me a job? The opportunity that every fashion designer at that place wanted, and they walked past him. He actually had no takers. He's waiting to give some designer the break of their lives, and they passed him. Why? Because street people are invisible. These guys missed out on the work of Jesus because their stereotypes, their misconceptions. He can't be from Galilee. Now, we don't have that issue because we know where Jesus is from, and we get to hear that now. I will offer in some way how we miss out, and then I will encourage you about how to talk to Jesus, and then we'll move forward. I don't think we miss out on the work of Jesus because we're confused about where he's from. We miss out on the work of God and Jesus because we're confused about what God's doing. And that typically means, God, I would rather what you're doing conform to this expectation. And when it's not conforming to this expectation, I'm deciding to stay on the off-ramp instead of the on-ramp. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have an expectation. God, I'd like my life or I'd like these things to come to play. And when they're not coming to play, I'm going to stay out of the work of God. And what I would offer to you very much is that we sit and we ask the question, God, what is it you're doing? What is it you're doing in the life of this church, the life of the larger community in the zip code? And what is it that seems like you're doing in my life? And in the areas in which I'm not very pleased, Father, help me not to walk away from the work of God, but to lean in. Because we have stereotypes and misconceptions about what we would like for God to do. I think we have a habit to do that. How do we change that? How is it that we, instead, walking away from the work of God, move into it? And I'm going to say the most simple step is what's happening here. Begin to talk about Jesus Christ. Begin to make him more of the topic of our conversations. If food and drink and fantasy football is the entry point, fantastic. How do we begin to talk more about Jesus Christ? Busted up relationships? All of a sudden have an avenue by which we can work towards healing them if we're talking about Jesus Christ. Expectations at home expectations at the church, or what God might do in the community, have a much more rich opportunity for us to be a part of the work of God if Jesus is the topic of the conversation. Not everybody missed out in this section. There are some people who are saying, he's the Christ. I don't know how many. We're almost getting the impression it's not many. But someone's at least saying, he is the Christ, which means that person is saying, Jesus is the Savior. Yes. Yes, there's going to be varied responses. In fact, some of it is going to be hostile, and that's going to move us to our next point. If we want to become a part of the work of God, we've got to talk about Jesus, and we've got to be prepared for hostility. Becoming a part of the work of God is first talking about Jesus, and we have to be prepared for hostility or pushback 
Look at verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? And the officers said, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? This crowd does not know the law is accursed. Now this is pushback. This is hostility, but it's also humorous. Last week, what we saw a passage where the Pharisees grabbed some officers and said, go arrest him. And the officers come back, and they have not arrested Jesus. Like, why have you not arrested this man? And they're like, dude, have you heard that guy talk? I can't arrest him. Have you heard what he's saying? Can you imagine how angry the Pharisees were? Can you imagine? The officers are doing their bidding. Go arrest him for it. You go get your hands dirty. Bring him to us. And the guys are like, he's amazing. Have you heard that podcast? It's ridiculous what this guy is doing week in and week out. Now, this makes them angry, okay? This makes them very, very angry. Have you been deceived? Have any of the authorities believed in him? I love that answer. Have any of us believed in him? Then you're deceived. Their, their answer is, it doesn't matter what he's saying, you can only believe in him when we believe in him, is basically their response. Are you crazy? We'll tell you who to believe in, and none of us have. And then they amp it up. Those, the unwashed masses out there, the crazy people, they don't know the law. They're cursed, which is essentially saying they're all going to hell. Don't listen to them. They're saying, you have been swayed by popular opinion. We're in charge here. And by the way, when you have to press that in, you really have not in charge. I'm in charge. That's what they're doing. And so that's that. It's desperate talk. What's happening? God is at work. God is at work when these religious authorities can send officers to go arrest Jesus, and they go, I I can't arrest that guy. Have you ever heard him speak? That's what happens. When people begin to talk, when you begin to talk about the work of Jesus, there's going to be pushback, and there's going to be be hostility. Now, I think we should start talking personally before we begin talking in a larger sense. One of the reasons we don't talk about Jesus ourselves is because our hearts have plenty of prepared pushback. Because Jesus and his words are going to make a change according to the promise of God. And if you begin to make a point of having Jesus more of the topic of conversation, you are going to have to wrestle more with the own personal hostility and pushback you have. Because Jesus removes the focus off of you, and he puts it on himself. And you're going to have to wrestle with everything from where you find your significance to what are you willing to let go because God is calling you to it. Trusting in Jesus means Losing significance in self, at least personal worth. Trusting Jesus means losing, finding your significance in someone else. It means expecting your home, your church, and your community to change. And at some point in time, we offer pushback. Instead, talking about Jesus says, my significance is found in you, Jesus Christ. My significance with others is found as I see you manifesting in their lives, in my home, in my church, in my community, and we're just not often willing 
to hand those things off. That little story. Now that it's the summer has come to an end, everybody in my neighborhood is aerating their lawn. Everybody know what aerating your lawn is? Okay, aerating your lawn, just in case, is uh, towards the end of the summer. There's a debate about when to do it, but this is a popular time to aerate your lawn. And you get this uh, uh, this crazy machine that just pokes spikes in everywhere in your yard. It makes your yard look really, really funny. And so you've got these little holes all in your lawn, and then you come and you seed or fertilize however you have personally decided for your lawn. And so what you then is you do that, and then you water it, and then you get no results. It's true. There's no, you're not doing anything to your lawn. But then, later on, after the winter, your lawn looks tidy. Your lawn game, strong. And the summer co- comes, and your lawn doesn't die. And that way you're in the lawn, your neighbor goes, your lawn looks good. And you're like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you want to you want to take pride, but you don't, because his is like brown and yours is green. You know. All right. There's a term I had to look up. I didn't know this. You know, I don't know it. Called soil compaction. If you apply that in any way medically, it's bad, by the way. But anyway, soil compaction. The ground is too hard at the end of the summer for anything to take any long-term effect. You can seed all you want at the end of the summer. And you're not going to get any long-term result because the ground is just too hard. So you aerate it to break up the soil compaction, and then that way the grass can get in there, the fertilizer can get in there, and the water can get in there. And it plays a long-term result and benefit. That, my friends, and that loose analogy is the hostility of your heart you've got to face. Because we love us some we, don't we? I love me some me, you love you some you. And we have plans that we often don't run by God unless we're just asking him to bless them. And those things often prevent us from more actively being a part of the work of God. So we've got to till up that, that ground. We've got to till up our hearts. And what that is, is beginning a life of speaking of Jesus letting his scriptures take effect, prayer, repentance, allowing other people to speak to us through the words of Jesus. And slowly, that pushback and that hostility is broken. And we find our heart's fertile ground to work. We got two groups of people here. The officers hear the words of Jesus, and they're like, have you heard this guy? They're willing to go against the religious leaders because they've interacted with the words of Jesus and they're beginning to believe in him. But the Pharisees won't. Because what they've got is a man of personal significance that they're not willing to let go of. And so they, at this point in time, are going to enact an open warfare against Jesus that will openly end or ultimately end in him going to the cross. If we're going to become part of the work of God, Let's simply begin by speaking of Jesus, talking of Jesus. We've got to be prepared for hostility, both outside of our lives and inside our lives. And then we've got to appeal to that which is true. If we want to become part of the work of God, let's speak of Jesus, 
Let's be prepared for pushback. And let's appeal to that which is true. Uh, let me read verses 50 and 52 to you. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Guys, Nicodemus is a rock star. He's sound. He's reasonable. He's logical. He's like, hey, guys, listen. We don't need to start slinging mud, guys. Let's calm down a little bit. We don't have to start doing that. Hey, our law says that we're, by the way, the guys who are supposed to know the law. We just said none of them did, so maybe let's see if we could obey it. Our law says you don't condemn a man without giving him a hearing. I don't know. Let's, let's obey the law. Is uh, a friend of mine reminded me a quote this week of a uh, British theologian named G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton said this, It's not that people have tried Jesus and found him wanting, it's that they don't want Jesus and have not tried in our day and age. It's not that people have pursued Jesus and found him to be an inadequate Savior. It's that they don't want a Savior, so they don't pursue Jesus. Nicodemus is like, listen, guys, the problem here is we just don't like Jesus. If we say we know the law and we're going to obey the law, I don't know. Why don't we give him a hearing instead of just condemning him? And the other Pharisees are enraged at such reasonable thinking. Are you from Galilee too? You're just a homer. Is this your boy? Is that what you're doing? You know nothing good comes from the ghetto over there? Heavy sigh. What Nicodemus does, despite how this all worked out, he appealed to that which is true. We should just give him a fair opportunity to tell us who he is. There's not hostility in his voice. He's not going to attack Jesus. You can tell that what he's offering is sound and reasonable because the guys don't like it. People are talking about Jesus. The words of Jesus always have some sort of effect. There's pushback and hostility. But Nicodemus appeals to that which is true. You see, in our conversations, into our own hearts, into the hearts of others, we're going to start talking about Jesus. And we're in the midst of pushback and hostility. We are going to have to appeal to the words of Scripture. Because the soundness of your argument or the ability for you to persuade people is not going to be enough. Any ground that we would hope to stand on, to have any real effect, must be the words of Scripture. But please do it this way. Please offer the words of Scripture and address it to people's hearts. Give the words of Scripture in such a way that it meets the heart need and question of people so that the scriptures are not a baseball bat. It's a completely different conversation. Yes, you are called by God to offer the words of scripture to others. Nicodemus did it soundly and reasonably. But if we want to be a part of what God's doing, if we want to be a part of the work of God, what we are going to need to do is to just begin conversations about Jesus. And you might find it the most alien thing in the world. 
How do I do that? Just pass the salt? Yes, Jesus is the salt of life. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. Finding ways in which Jesus is a comfortable conversation means first recognizing that you don't find him comfortable yourself to even speak of him. What a wonderful, consistent prayer over time. Jesus, why is it I don't feel comfortable talking about you? Jesus, why is it that I'm just not even comfortable within my own life interacting with you? And then find Jesus transforming your heart and conforming it. So Jesus becomes the topic of conversation. You begin having that conversation with others. And you're prepared for pushback and hostility because you know it's both promised in Scripture and it's given by example. But in that, what you have to offer is an appeal to the truths of Scripture. Appeal to that which you know is true, which Nicodemus did. Last story for the day. Fourth grade. I was playing for the uh, um, Brack Wilson Ford Pirates. This is fourth grade. They're pitching to you. It's not T-ball anymore. So it's a it's a sloppy brand of baseball. I was very excited to have a uniform, second base. Um, you all know what the batter's box is? Um, excuse me, the uh, uh, the on-deck circle. I mean, they do have a circle even in Little League. The on-deck circle is I get to swing my bat and I'm safe circle, right? Don't come near me because I'm swinging a bat circle. Everybody know what I'm talking about? But you're supposed to get loosened up, right? We don't have any idea how to loosen up. I just know I'm supposed to be standing in a circle. I'm supposed to be swinging a bat. I'm far away from the batter's box, and I'm far enough away from the dugout. No one's getting hurt. It's practice. I'm swinging my bat because that's what I'm supposed to do when I'm inside the circle. And the coach, for whatever reason, wants Brack Wilson Jr. to come up to take a swing. Oh, here I am. Well, Brack decides, I'm going to swing my bat on the way to the uh, batter's box. So here I am. Like I can't wait to get in. I'm so happy. It's fourth grade. Coming up behind me. I wake up a minute or so later. When I started having seizures, the doctor's like, have you ever had a head injury? I was like, I've had a couple. Fourth grader completely knocked unconscious. Laid out because... Someone's swinging a bat where he's not supposed to be swinging a bat. I can almost feel the hit today. Crude analogy. Every obstacle in the world for you becoming a part of the work of God is going to happen. I didn't get in that batter's box, and I didn't play hardly for the rest of the season, by the way. I think I made it to the last game, and it was token. You know, I think we were losing by 100, 100 runs, and they decided to let this kid in who had a concussion. Every obstacle in the world is going to keep you from becoming a part of the work of God. Sometimes there are things in which you don't have much of a say in. Because someone's going to knock you in the back of the head with a baseball bat in fourth grade. Those things are what? Those are relationships that are a mess that you don't have much of a part of that are putting you in situations where all of a sudden you've got to deal with things you'd rather not deal with. And you feel like it's keeping you from coming a part of the work of God because you're entirely putting your existence and trying to fix this situation. It can be large life changes. It can be loss of a job, 
It can be someone making decisions for you that you don't have much control of, and you feel like this is keeping me from becoming part of the work of God. It can be you and being entrenched in sin that you're not willing to walk away from. Whatever the case, let me offer this grace to you and to my heart as well. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, none of those things can ultimately eliminate you from being a part of the work of God. Not one of them. What will lead us out of those things is a sweet recognition of your Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace that he would offer to you, whether it's a busted up relationship, some circumstance out of your control, or even an entrenchment in sin. And Jesus, once again, is offering the same grace to you that he's been offering to these guys when he says, come to me if you're thirsty. I'm going to transform you from being someone who is dehydrated to streams of living water flowing from your heart. That same promise is true to you as it is here. What we need to begin to do is your pastor, an exhortation and an admonition to some. We've got to make Jesus the subject of our lives. We have got to make Jesus, in some way, our regular and consistent conversation because we're comfortable with him being Savior of our lives. And as that happens, it may be your heart that pushes back as hard as you can imagine. You may realize that walking away from that entrenched sin is the hardest thing you've ever done. And Jesus is messing around with you because all of a sudden you want to get rid of it worse than you ever have. Or it may just be people who knew you before and they really just don't like you becoming this Jesus person, whatever the case may be. And you've got to appeal to these scriptures which are true. You've got to appeal to the promises that Jesus has come to me with that dehydrated soul and I'm going to make springs of living water flow out of your heart. And then, guess what? We become a group of people who are huddled together trying to learn how to make Jesus the subject of our sentences. And God uses that as he's promised to. And we become a church where Jesus is comfortably the subject of our sentences. And we find God using us in a great way. And we become part of a greater work of God here. And then we're going to see our zip codes get changed. They're going to see that expand into our communities and our zip codes and all around us, even stretching as far as across the world. Right now, before you tackle across the world, you've got to tackle your heart. And you've got to recognize that no matter what's keeping you out of the batter box is not intended to keep you out of the batter box. Instead, it is intended by God to bring you to Jesus. Every providence Every single thing that he has ordained for your life is intended to bring you to Jesus. That oft-quoted verse that all things work together for the good of those who are called by the Lord Jesus, that verse doesn't mean bank accounts and palatial estates. It means the good that Jesus has done by that is to bring you to himself because there is no finer riches in this world. Start today by conversations. Make it awkward. Look at the other person. Why would you have to make it weird, dude? I mean, that's what's going to have to happen. 
because we just don't even have a comfortable vocabulary of Jesus Christ in our day-to-day lives. Be prepared for your own heart for some pushback around you. And let's just appeal to the Scriptures, the truths, the promises, the things that we know, and let's comfortably watch you and I, me, us, become part of the work of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love this passage. We don't even see Jesus in it, but we get drawn to him. Because Jesus is the topic of conversation. Everything from he's Elijah, he's the Christ, he's from the bad part of town. Have you heard that guy speak? Nothing good can come from there. He's just the topic of conversation. And Father, what we see is all manner of reaction to him. We see those who say that he is the Christ. We see the, the officers who were sent to arrest him moving their hearts towards him in faith. We see that those who doubt that he could do any great thing because he's from Galilee, and we see the Pharisees digging in. Father, that's very, very much expected. But Father, I love Nicodemus. He appeals to the truths of Scripture. If we follow that, we're going to find out who he is, and we must do that now, Father. We must be the people who are speaking of you, prepared for any manner of feedback that enable us to appeal to that which is true. Make us a transformed people, transformed homes, transformed church, transformed zip codes. Father, we begin to recognize the hostility in our heart. We begin to recognize all the things that have prevented us from moving towards you. And Father, would we pray that you would cast those all aside and that we find you, our sweet and loving Savior, once again offering grace and drawing us to yourself. And would we then be a celebrative people, knowing that we are loved, that we are forgiven, we are comforted, and we are gathered together. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name.